Tov, Chodesh Tov. Um, today's daf is Lamed Vav. We pick up on Lamed Hamid's bet after Lamed Zion, excuse me, 37, just as I was saying. 7 7 is today. We pick up on um, Lamed Vav, Amit Bet, uh, the bottom third after the parentheses. So we had just analyzed the whole Mishnah about an ox that occurs multiple times, how it gets divided amongst the different people who's, uh, who were, who were, who were, uh, whose property was damaged, the Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Yishmael debate. And now we actually turn, the last analysis has really very little to do with the Mishnah per se. Let's take a look. Tanan Hasam, we taught over there, um, later on, um, in HaChovel. HaTokei L'Chavero, if somebody like, uh, either, you know, yells in his friend's ear, or more likely it means like, you know, hits his friend, um, no, or like Rashi says, like near the ear or something. Um, uh, I don't know. Anyway, nothing lo sella. You give him a sella. That's right. That is the, the assessment for Boshet, for the embarrassment and the shame. Um, that uh, if there's any damages, like loss of hearing, hospital bills, or whatever, that would be separate. But this is what the mission assumes is the standard amount for Boshet. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Mishum Rabbi Yosei a mana. Now, a sella is normally four zuz and a man is a hundred zuz. So already it is pretty interesting that Raviosia Glili assesses it at twenty five times what um, the Tanakama has. Um, Tosa says that maybe the Tanakama was talking about the minimum or like the standard boshet for a poor person or a person of low social standing and Raviosia Glili is talking about a person of high social standing. But be that as, as it may, that is not our focus. Okay? Here, what is our focus? So let's take a look. So it's a certain person who hit his, banged his friend, slapped his friend on the ear. So you were going to apply the law of this Mishnah. Rashi is immediately bothered that we don't do Boshet in Bavel because Boshet is a knas. So he, Rashi says we're talking about some t- case about Tafas. It's not clear that that's true, but okay. Anyway, I wouldn't. sent the case in front of Rev Yosef um, and he asked the following question. When it says a sela, which is four zuz, does that mean sela tsuri, which is the sort of, what we would sort of say, the standard, um, what, yeah, right, the standard um, sort of a way of identifying the value of coins, or sela medina? Sela medina, it's very confusing, you know, because they would use the same t- names for things, but um, there would be like two different systems, and sela medina would be an eighth of sela tsuri. So if there's a half of a zuz in a salatsuri, four zuz in a salamedina, okay? So Rabbi Aglili says, just so you know, Rabbi Aglili says mana, okay? Aglili says mana, which means a hundred, okay? And who was the Tanakama? Uh, it doesn't say, Rabbi Yehuda. Oh, no. Um, no, Tanakama. Okay, the Tanakama says Sela. Now, Sela is normally said to be four Zuz. Okay, Zuz. But that's if we're talking about Suri. Okay? The basic principle is that Medina is one-eighth of Sela Suri. So it's a half of a Zuz. Okay, which is crazy. Which is like a 200-time difference between the two. Anyway, that's his question. Okay? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Okay, that's a big question. So, um, I'm going to wait. Tenitua. 
So we learned it. Where do we learn it? We can infer it from our Mishnah about the goring ox. How is that? Okay, remember it had the case about the ox that was being divided and it was being divided 150, 25, 25. Now that's a diner zahav. A diner zahav, a golden dinare, is 25 times a... A dinar is the same as a zuz, okay? But a diner zahav... Is, is 25 and a, di- and a dinar kesef a zuz is 1 alright fine now what does that prove ok let's take a look um, if you think the Tanah the Mishnah would ever be using the coinage of Selamadina, right? Because we always assume that the Tanah, because it's the question, what did the Mishnah mean when it said Sela? Does the standard coinage referred to in the Mishnah mean Sela Tsuri or Sela Medina? So he is saying if the Tanah would be prepared to use a Sela Medina, if that's what something a Tanah would refer to, so Niflog least Nivalezio. So I'm sorry, Niflog Venisni at Tracerva So why not just not, why not talk about let's say the ox gored again? So what would happen if the ox would gore again? It would be a hundred wait, it would be like it would be a hundred how would it be? Fifty how well would it be? It would be a hundred then twenty five wait am I getting this right? hundred twenty five Wait, no. All right, 150, 25, 12.5, 12.5. Did I get that right or did I make a mistake here? 25, 20. No, that's right. Okay, fine. So if we go it again, okay, right, this is 200, that's 200. Okay, if we go it again, that's how it would break down, okay? Because the guy, last guy would get 200 and then you divide the remaining 100 amongst all of these, okay? So, why didn't the Tana give that example? So the assumption is the Tana didn't give that example. This would be twelve. This would be zuz, right? This is a dinar zav. This is a zuz, which is a dinar, which is a dinar kesef. Okay. So why didn't the Tana give that example? Because the presumption is he doesn't want to be talking in halves. You only want to be talking in whole units. But if you could refer to something called a sela, and that would mean a sela medina, which would be a half of a zuz, you'd have a way to refer to this. You could say twelve zuz and a sela. Everybody got me? Yes? No? Yes. Sort of? Okay. Right. So tw- you could say twelve zuz and a sela. So the fact that you didn't shows that you would never talk in Sela Medina language. So you could talk about a Sela, which is four Zuz. You could talk about a Zuz. But you could never talk about, if you needed to say a half Zuz, you have to say a half Zuz. You would never be able to say a Sela. And we don't want to talk about halves. So the fact that we didn't do this shows, because we, we don't want to talk about halves, which shows that we can never, we would never u- refer to a, we would never use the con- the word of a Sela Medina. Okay. Exactly. If you're in Suri, the only way you can get a half is by saying a half. But if you're in Medina, you can get a half of those by talking about a cell off. You're in sewer. Sewer. Okay, so it sounds like this. Um, okay. Um, well, yeah, anyway. Okay, so. Okay, the Isakadite, the Tanitana Cell Medina, and the Vogonizia trace of a cell. Say 12 zoos and a cell. So presumably we didn't say that because we don't want to be talking about halves, which means that we'll never talk about Sela Medina. Amrlay, so the response back was, Tana Kiruchla, least Nivalezil? What? The Tana, like a merchant, is going to go and, you know, announce 
puts all of its wares. So okay, what it has to give you, it has to give, it gave you this case. It has to give you every single possibility. Keep on breaking it down to more and more and more cases. It stopped after like four uh, gourd oxes. You don't need five or six gourd oxes. Okay, my Haviola, What was the conclusion about whether the Tana ever refers to a Salamadina or not? Um, from what Ravuda said in the name of Rav, whenever the Torah talks about an amount you pay, like Shloshim Shel Eved or something like that, right? That's Shloshim Kesef, right? So that's, anyway, so that is going to refer to Selatsuri, not Selamedina, Selatsuri, Vishel Divrayim, Kesef Medina. And when they, but when there's a rabbinic obligation, we refer to Kesef Medina. So actually, we will refer to Kesef Medina and Sela Medina. So when our Mishnah talked about the rabbis assessing the value of the Boshet, and they said, Sela, if you're talking about not sometimes of identifying of a Torah value, but you're talking about the, uh, a rabbinic assessment, you know, some type of a rabbinic fixed fine or rabbinic assessment, then we're going to be talking in Sela Medina terms. Okay, so therefore, yes, we are talking about a half of Azuz, we are talking about Sela Medina, and there's a 200 time difference between them. Okay, now, one minute. I'm Gavra. So, okay, so this guy now, it was determined, owed a half of a Zuz. Not four Zuz, a half of a Zuz. So, I'm Gavra. What? It's a lousy half Zuz that I'm getting for getting my ear boxed in? So, Lobina, who needs it? I don't want a half Zuz. Go give it to the poor. Give it to Stucka. Then he changed his mind. You know what he said? You know what? I changed my mind. Give it to me. I will take it. Let me at least use it to go get better. Let me at least use it to go to the doctor. Okay? Which is interesting because if it's Boshet, then why isn't he also being assessed for like Shevet and Repo and whatever? Anyway, Amalim Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said, no, too late. Once he said give it to the Aniyim, then the Aniyim already essentially took possession of it. Now, how is that? It was in the pocket of the Mazik. He didn't yet put it in the Tzedakah box. What made it, just because you said those words, what made it magically become now the possession of the Aniyim. And even though there were no Aniyim, it's not like your words now transferred it like there was a standard Aniyim in the town. And you said, give it to the Aniyim. It's like you were makna it to that person. Maybe there's even no Aniyim in the town. So there's nobody to be makna to. So how is it that your words now made it owned by the Aniyim? There's no Aniyim around. We, the rabbis, uh, are Zoha on behalf of the Aniyim. Now, Rashi says it's not just in general we the rabbis. If you look at Rashi, it says Rav Yosef have a gabai. Rav Yosef was a gabai tzedakah, and this case, right, was came in front of Rav Yosef. Right, what happened? It said, right, he sent the question to Rav Yosef. Now, it still doesn't mean that Rav Yosef had the money in his pocket. Rav Yosef was the rabbi it was referred to, but somehow, since the case was being adjudicated by Rav Yosef, and and the guy, maybe the guy said this to Rav Yosef. You know what? Give it to the Aniim. You, you know, it sounds like somehow those words were directed or in the presence or to Rav Yosef, then Rav Yosef somehow has taken possession for behalf of the enemy. It's still a little funny, because presumably the money is still in the pocket of the Mazik, right? So
So don't you need some act of physical taking possession of it? Anyway, the Amar of Yudah, how do you know that the rabbis can represent the interests of the Aniyim? The Amar of Yudah Meshmuel, Yisomi Menem Shichim Pruzbo. Yisomi don't need a Pruzbo for Shemitah to write their debts over to the Basin. Why? Because what the Pruzbo would do is it would assign Basin the right to collect the debts. But basically, we assume that Basin always is taking care of the interests of the, of the, of the Aniyim. And here with Yisomi, it sounds exactly the same as the Aniyim, but presumably Yisomi mean, you know, people that are orphans that are like, you know, uh, you know, that are young and can't, and you know, and are, are, are uh, can't take care of their own interests and so on, are in a similar situation as the Aniyim. Poor, maybe at the margins of society, not taken care of and so on. And we, the base, didn't take care of their interests. So therefore, we naturally assume the responsibility of collecting their debts for them. And therefore, you don't need a prisbal to enter over their debts to the base in. Okay? Um... So, but Gamliel and his basin, they were the fathers for the orphans. They took over that responsibility. So that was like they already took upon themselves the responsibility for collecting the debts on behalf of the Aniyim. Now, um, and therefore here too, again, it's like the Ani is here because the Gabbai Tzedakah is here. Now, it's uh, still not exactly clear because the money hasn't gone into the possession. I'll talk about that in Tosos in a minute. But let's just end this with the following story. Hahu Gavra Okay, Hanan Bisha, that's, you, you gotta love that name, Hanan the bad one, Tukalelahu Gavra. I know, yeah, he comes up a few times. Yeah, okay, he hit a guy, apparently in the ear. came to So we're ruling that a Stella is a Sela Medina and a half a Zuz. He said to Hanan Bisha, go give him a half Zuz. Zuza Makah. So Hanan Bisha had a Zuz that was like a worn out, you know, sort of, uh, you know, like it was a rubbed down Zuz. So, it was like, you know, you ever get one of those dollars that's like been through the wash like a hundred times or whatever? So he was looking for somebody to split it for him and no merchant wanted to take this lousy, worn out Zuz. So, he wanted to cash it in and give him a half a Zuz out of this Zuz. Nobody would, nobody would take it from him and change it for him. So, you know what? So, so he hit him again and he gave him the whole <laughs> That's what you get. If you only have to pay a half Zuz, nobody, it's not worth it so anyway so people are not so protected I guess boxing in people's ears was a common occurrence now now I want to talk about that's how you get the name Hanabisha so I want to talk about two, two important points that are raised by Tosos first let's look at this question about how we took possession for the Aniyim Yad Aniyim Anan Tosos says bottom of Lamed Vav Lamed Pet so says forget Yad Aniyim if you say you're going to give Tzedakah that's the sort of the, then that becomes like a type of a neder that should automatically obligate you. So who needs Yadadim? He can't back out. He said he was going to give it as Tzedakah. So the whole interesting comparison, like obligating yourself in Tzedakah is like a neder, giving to Tzedakah is like being Maktish. So you can't be Maktish something you don't own. So you, if you said, give it to the Aniyim, and you don't own it yet, you weren't paid yet to have Zuz, you can't transfer transfer it yet to the Aniyim. So what can your words do? If your words can't transfer the money yet to the Aniyim, what can they do? So he says, 
olam. The money wasn't yet in his possession, so he can't yet transfer it to the aniyam. Similarly, he said, let it be, uh, let it be hektish. That wouldn't work. He doesn't own it yet. But here's what you could do with your words. If you accept upon yourself a personal obligation that you like make a, you know, uh, at an appeal, I will give $100 to tzedakah, to hektish. When I get this money, I will give it to tzedakah. That becomes a personal obligation. That becomes a neder. And that's when we say your words can obligate you. But you did not want to say a personal obligation. I promise to give this to tzedakah. You tried through your words to transfer it. This shall belong to tzedakah. Right now, I'm trying to make it owned by tzedakah. If it's not in your possession, you don't have the ability to do that with your words. So your words can create a personal obligation for tzedakah and for hektesh, but they can't transfer it unless it's in your property. Okay? Domesh that you would obligate yourself like a nether okay so that's so that's interesting in terms of the power of your words again what it still doesn't explain is how Rebbe whoever it was Rebbe Yosef took possession of it if it was still in the hands of the Mazik I don't know maybe the Mazik gave it over to Rebbe Yosef maybe that's what we're supposed to expect yes so. I just want to make certain it means it would have seen it would seem it's not really no Dome means no well if you're emphasizing the word dome, yeah. I think tosis means like it would appear to me that. I think that's what the word dome means there. Um, it's, he's not saying that it is it is an obligation comparable to neder, which you yeah. also could have said. Yeah. But but, that, but 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 it is. That's the word kimone there. But the word dome here does not mean it's analogous to neder. I think he means dome li. It appears to me that is the point of that word dome. Yes. I'm trying to figure out. I mean. There's an implicit recognition here that the monetary units in the Gemara are different than the Torah. Right. Um, and yet, like, it, it seems like the, is there something that they're trying to preserve about the, the number prescribed in the Torah for certain things? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what, exactly what you mean, but I will tell you, here's the Nafkamina. The Torah says, and I would give me the opportunity to look at the next Tosos. The Torah says, for example, that Moab Sulot is 50 Kesef. Now, Kesef there is referred to as a seller. Okay? So, we normally assume that that means 200 Zuz. 50 times 4 is 200 Zuz, right? But if that was because that's because it's Hamur Batorah. Right? So, we assume that's not being said here. Right? We assume that the Shekel is what we call the Sela, and then it's a Sela Tsuri. Right? So, yeah, there's like a lot of these built in assumptions. But the interesting thing is, is, is that according to uh, uh, now that's because the words 50 kesef are written in the Torah and therefore it's 50 sala 200 zuz etc but there's a debate in the Gemara Ksuvis you might remember whether Ksuvis Doraisa Dorabanan so even though the Knas of 50 kesef is 200 zuz based on this Gemara a number of Gaonin Paskin or whatever it was widely Paskin in Svarad that kesef is um, that, kes, that, that Ksuvis Dorabanan and that the actual amount of the Ksuva is not 200 zuz but is 25 zuz. Okay, that the 50 shekel in the Torah, in the Torah it meant 200 zuz. But when we use that as our model for Ksuva Durabanan, we're going to interpret it as Kesef Medina and make it worth 25 zuz. So actually in Svarad, the value of the Ksuva 
was one eighth the value of the Ksuva in Ashkenaz because they did Kesef Medina and not Kesef Tzuri and for them the 50 Zuz although it was written in the Torah if you think that Ksuva is Jerobanan became only 25 not 200 now this Tosos we won't read it inside for the sake of time this Tosos says it doesn't matter if Ksuva is Jerais or Jerobanan it comes from the word 50 Kesef in the Torah and it's 200 Zuz and that by the way was something that the Rush did because the Rush you know Rush is always an interesting transitional figure he comes from Sarai he comes from Ashkenaz he lives in Svarad so he coming from Ashkenaz believed there's a whole debate whether Ksuva is Darais or Darabanan he believed that Ksuva anyway was so in Svarad they believed that Ksuva was Darabanan but the language of the Ksuva in Ashkenaz that we know we have in our Ksuva the Ashkenaz is Dechazi Lichimi Diorita now for the Svaradim in the room Rabbi Dov your Ksuva say Dechazi Lichi they don't say Midoraita right but you, you yeah so right so Dechazi Lich so the Rush was bothered because he saw Ksuva was Jerobanan, and if Ksuva is Jerobanan, why are we saying Dechazi Lichi Midoraita? So he said, no, no, no. They're not Chayiv in Ksuva Midoraita, but the use of the phrase Doraita is to signal that you use Kesef Suri and not Kesef Medina. So you're going to do 200 Zuz and not 25 Zuz. So that was the way the rush like bridged the gap, but in reality, those that passed in Ksuva was Jerobanan basically felt that Ksuva was 25 Zuz. And if you felt Ksuva was Doraita, it was 200 Zuz, and that's based on the discussion in this Gemara and parallel discussions elsewhere okay let's move on now now we get to a whole fun section of the Gemara or at least for one daf and again these things get done and then revisited but for now we get today's daf focuses on the discussion of becoming a Muad and then maybe also going back and becoming a Tan you need to do it three times to become a Muad so that seems straightforward enough let's look at our, at this Mishnah Shur Shahaya Muad for sure is muad for its genre for goring other oxen but not for other things sheep or goats or whatever or it's a muad for goring people and not for goring animals or for goring small animals but not big animals the thing that it has established a pattern it will pay full the thing that it is not habituated for We'll pay half damage. So that means it's going to go a hundred times. We're a chicken, then a cow, then a person, then a. Yeah. So we'll see all those in the Gemara. I'm a little right. Well, we'll see because then you might deal with uh, you might abstract it. Okay. I'm a little Yehuda. They said to Rabbi Yehuda, Let's say an animal happened to gore on Shabbos and not on the weekday. So what would be the halacha? So now presumably what they were asking him was, at what point do we? This is the way I understand what's going on. They're asking him, how formalist are we? Like, if there's no good reason to explain why an animal would limit itself to goring on Shabbos and not on the weekday, but the reality was, it just so happened that three times it was on Shabbos. Will we look at just the reality of what it did and define Muad in those terms? Or are we going to use a little bit of a svar and say, yeah, it's true, it was Shabbos three times, but that's immaterial. So what's the story if it did it Shabbos three times? And he said, yeah, we're formalists. On Shabbos you pay full, and on the weekday the rest of the time. Now, right now, okay, now. So Rashi and Tosvos, I read the whole question as how formalist are we? Rashi and Tosvos are not happy with saying we are complete formalists. Like, and therefore, let's say, because you could have said, let's say it three times on a Tuesday. Yeah, 
Maybe it's only Mu'at for Tuesdays. So Rashi does us understand that actually his answer was that Shabbos does make a practical difference. So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, um, so, so Rashi says like this, um, I'm sorry, no, it's middle of the Mishnah Rashi's. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the very first Rashi, like right at the beginning of the Mishnah Rashi says, He's got a day off! So he's bored. So he goes around goring. That's the problem. You know, you give your oxen a day off, they start getting into trouble. Okay, so Tosu says, they're foreign. They're foreign. Right. So therefore, everybody's wearing all these fancy clothes. That gets him all curious and riled up. Okay, fine. So they understand that the answer is not a pure formalism. It is Shabbos during the weekdays. It's not a Tuesday as opposed to a Wednesday. Now, the last line of the mission is, When would he become a Tom if he happened to go on three Shabbosos? It's not enough that he sees animals during the weekdays. He has to, you know, it's sort of like, what's about Tuva, the Rambam says. About Tuva is that you're in the same place in the same circumstances and you don't repeat the sin. Sorry, the way you, you become a, you, you do, the, the, the shore does Tshuva, the shore reverts himself to being a Tom, is he's given three opportunities of the same circumstances that he's been habituated with and he doesn't react three times in a row. Okay? So if he basically went two times without reacting and the third time he reacted and he gored, then he'd have to do three, you know, you need three times in a row to undo it. Okay. That's the Mishnah. So now, for the, for Katanim. Katanim and Gedolim. Exactly. Exactly. Now we're going to have a nice little uh, debate of one letter in the Mishnah. Itmar. It was taught. Do you have the Vav? Is it descriptive? Or is it telling you the law? For Let's start with Rav Papa. Rav Papa it reads like this. Shur muad muad If a short gourd three oxen, then it's not a muad for other things. You basically look at what it did, and you don't abstract, you don't generalize. If it happened to do three-time oxen, it's only for oxen. It's a muad lamino, it's an ain't a muad lamino. Okay, that's what he says. You basically assume that something is only a muad for the things that it has a, you have di- concretely established a pattern for. Rezid says, he reads the vav. It's descriptive. No, no, no. We're talking about a shore that was a muad lamino and an ain't a muad lamino. A normal shore, if it gored three times, I don't care what it gored. It would be a muad for everything. It has to actually do something to become an ain't a muad Which would mean is, not only did it gore three times oxen, but it looked at sheep for three times and didn't gore them. Okay, so normally you assume that these things are generic. If they've established it three times, they establish it for all animals, all people, all everything. Okay, but it could become an Enomuad if it encounters other things and doesn't react. 
Alright, so this is a very big difference of how to read the Mishnah. Okay, so the Papa reads it is, Papa without the Vav, Eino says, it's only a Muad for what it's done. So for, it's never seen another sheep in its, it's life. It's never seen another sheep in its life. All it's seen is oxen. It hasn't had an opportunity to not go sheep. It doesn't matter. Once it goes, if, it, if it's only gored oxen, it's only a Muad for oxen. So even gored sheep, it only pays Chatin anyway. Right. And Razid says, no, we assume it's a Muad for everything unless it demonstrates that it's not a Muad for those other things. Now, what's not clear is how often would it have to demonstrate, right? I said three times, but it wasn't three times. Let's say it saw a, a sheep, one, it, it gored an ox once, saw a sheep and didn't gore it, gored an ox a second time, and uh, saw a sheep and didn't gore it, and gored an ox a third time. It didn't not gore a sheep three times, it only did not gore a sheep two times. But maybe that's enough. You saw while it was goring oxen, it wasn't goring sheep. Okay, so that's not fully spelled out. But basically, Razid says, you, assume, you would normally just generalize, you'd have to have evidence to say that it's not a muad for those other things. Okay, now, Razid Amar Ve'ino Mu'atnan, the case is, it happens to not be a muad for other things. Hastama, the standard case would be, Havi Mu'ad. If it scores three times, we generalize, and it's a muad for everything. Repapa Amar Ve'ino Mu'atnan. No, no, no. It's telling you a halacha. It's not a muad for other things. Even if it goes three oxen, we just assume that's the only thing it's a muad for. Okay. Now we're going to see how they read it from the Mishnah. There's two different texts. One has well, it seems like... Yeah, I understand, but the Gemara is going to say it doesn't just by chance that they had different texts. There were, you know, it raises a question. As soon as you read the text, you're, you're asking yourself, how do you parse this? What does Enomuad mean? So they we're going to see that they was dealt with the other evidence from the end of the, from the other parts of the Mishnah to indicate to them how it should be, what either the Girsa was or how it should be parsed. Okay? So the Gemara says like this. Razid learns it out from the beginning of the Mishnah, Rafapa from the end. Ravzid learns it out from the end of the Mishnah. Something is a muad for Ktanim and is not a muad for Gedolim. Okay, which for him means that it saw Gedolim and it didn't gore them. That it's descriptive and it's saying it happens to be that it's not a muad for Gedolim, it saw Gedolim and it didn't gore them. So that would be implicitly telling you that in a standard case, if it happened to gore three small animals, we would assume it's a muad for everything, even big ones. This was a case that it wasn't a muad for big ones. It didn't. It saw big ones and it didn't gore them. But a standard case, goring small ones would be a muad for everything, including big ones. Okay, hastama. Um, I lost my place. Anymore, hastama every muad. muad. So that's a chiddush. The end of the mission is telling you implicitly that if it gored small ones, it would even it would we would just assume it's a muad for everything, even big ones. Even though you'd say, look, just because it takes advantage, you know, bullies pick on the small guys doesn't mean it's going to pick on a big guy. Okay, so, but never so that's a chiddush. It's telling you if it's a specific case that it's not a muad for a gadol, but the standard would be we would assume it would be a muad for a gadol, even though that's a chiddush because even though it only gored small ones. Okay, Ella Iamarta ain't a but if the Mishnah is telling you a halacha, if it did X, it's not a muad for Y. Stama lo ave muad. So meaning just the stam is if it did X, we don't extend it to Y. So hashi yeshlomar miktanim liktanim da alma stama lo ave muad. So the first end of the Mishnah is muad lamino ain't a muad lisha ain't a muad. If it gores oxen, it's not a muad for goring sheep. Okay, so if you got a small ox. 
It's not a muad for growing small sheep. Okay? So if that's true, even from ketanim to ketanim, you don't transfer it. Of course, then, so if you don't go from a small ox to a small sheep, of course you wouldn't go from a small ox to a big ox. Like, you're not going to pick on something that's not your own size. Okay? So, why would the minister have to tell me? Once you told me, it's telling me a halacha, not a description. You don't go from, from mino to eno mino. You don't go from small and mino to small and eno mino. Of course you would never go from small to big. So, I'm saying, nope, not necessarily. Um, no, you need to tell me that. No, maybe you wouldn't go from small to small, from small ox to small sheep, because you don't switch genres, you know? You're only interested in oxen. But maybe once you're goring in a, in a certain min, in an ox, once you've breached that particular category, you're willing to attack oxen, you're then you'll attack the whole category. Won't matter small ones or big ones. It's telling you that it's not. So, in each of these, there's a chiddush. You know, you might say, uh, you don't go from small ox to small sheep, but I might think you go from small ox to big ox. Maybe there's a certain degree of generalizing or abstraction that we do, and the mission is telling you, you don't. You don't make any jumps. You don't jump from oxen to sheep. You don't jump from small oxen to big oxen. You don't jump from people to oxen. You don't make any jumps. That's what Rav Papa is reading that the point of the Mishnah is. Ain't no Okay, now Rav Papa, Now we're going to see where he gets the strength of his position from, from the beginning of the Mishnah. Tiktani, muad adam So again, it's telling you a halacha, not a description. If something is a muad adam, we do not generalize it to a behima. That's how he reads it, without the vav. Iyamarta bishlema, It's ain't without the vav. Stama lo muad. So it's telling you that as a default, just because it, it gored Adam, it's not gonna, we don't assume it's gonna gore Behema. So that's a big Chiddush. That's a big Chiddush. Even if it gored people, you would think if it's willing to gore a person and people are better able to take care of themselves and animals are more afraid of people, you would think if it's willing to gore a person, it would certainly be prepared to gore Behema. And it's telling you no. Even if it's a muad la'adam, it's not a muad la'behema. That's, that's a good way to read the Mishnah. If it's got the vav, so it's a muad la'adam and it happens to not be a muad la'behema. It saw animals and didn't gore them. The implication being that by default, muad la'adam is a muad la'behema. Okay. So then that's like, why do you have to tell me that? If you've already told me that you would generalize from like oxen to a uh, sheep, right? It has to see sheep and not gore them to be a not muad for a sheep. Otherwise, we assume a muad for behemoth is a muad for sheep. So then you don't have to tell me Adam and behemoth. If it's willing to go from oxen to sheep, it will certainly go from human beings to animals, right? Because the presumption is human beings are the hardest thing to gore, the thing it's most afraid of. So once you're implicitly telling me you generalize, according to Rav Zvid, from one type of an animal to another, then you, why would you have to tell me you generalize from a person to an animal? Okay? So... Would you need to say that? Ravzid will say to you, You're right. When it speaks about it doesn't have to tell you that you don't generalize 
you know, that, that, that I'm sorry, that, that you generalize from Adam to Behema. That we could figure out, that of course you're going to do that. Uh, here, but what it's telling you is the, not the implication of what, would, uh, of what the standard case would be, but to tell you the reality of how something becomes an Eno Muad. What would that mean to be a Muad Adam and an Eno Muad Lebehema? Here's the reality. Okay? Um, now for a Zvid, we would normally generalize. But let's say you had an animal that actually, in practice, we're not even generalizing, in practice, gored three people and gored three, cow, three cows. So it was a full Muad Ladam and Muad even not through generalization. It actually gored three of each. The Hadar Baini Behema. And then it saw three Behemas and it stopped goring. Okay, the Kai Gabi Behema Tlossazimni, and now it spells out for you what it means to revert. It saw, it, it was present, it was stood in front of Behemas for three times, for low Nagach, and it didn't score. So maybe I would think in that case, that becomes, a, so the mission is saying, that's a Muad Adam the Ena Muad Lebehema. How would something be an Ena Muad Lebehema? It could have reverted from Behema because it saw three times in Inkor. Now I might think, well maybe that should count as full Tshuva. If it's not even goring Behemas, it certainly won't gore an Adam, right? So, so therefore, Ma'u Ditehema, I might have thought, even the low Hadar Behemia Adam, I'm sorry, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry, it says the opposite. No, not the opposite of what I said. Maybe I would say, look, it just reverted from Behema, but it didn't, we didn't see it yet revert from Adam. So maybe, therefore, it's, you know, and if it still has that, if it hasn't proven that it's given up goring people, and so maybe it has that viciousness that it's still going to gore people, so then not goring Behema doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, it's still like, the worst criminal, okay, and therefore we're still going to make it a muad lemehema. Kamash malazul chazar behema miyachazarhi. No, we will accept that it now has reverted from behema, and it could be it, something could be in the status of being muad laadam and ainu muad lebehema. It could revert from behema, and we don't view the fact that it has not obviously reverted from adam as evidence that to discount the reverting from behema. Okay, may say so. It's getting a little complicated, but we get the idea. Okay, that Razid says in general you generalize unless you have evidence that it's not and Rav Papa says you don't generalize Mesei Sumchis Omer so now we have a brighter where Sumchis disagrees with the teaching of the Mishnah Sumchis says no, no, no. If something is a mood adam, it's going to be a mood for a behema from a kavachomer. It's so funny. It's like spelling it. It says kavachomer, then it almost just doesn't, you know, clarify. It says, it's a kavachomer. If it's a mood for adam, of course it's a mood for a behema. It's just all in your tone of voice. Okay? What if he's just going like little kids? Oh, that's a good question, too. Right. But let's all assume same size, okay? Anyway, so the point is that Sumcha says, if it's a Muad Ladam, of course it's a Muad Lebehima, which implies that the Tachanakama was saying, if it's a Muad Ladam, it's not a Muad Lebehima, meaning that the Tachanakama is saying, Eino Muad not Ve'eino Muad. The Tachanakama is making a halachic statement. Muad Ladam does not make it a Muad Lebehima. Okay? So, the cloud of Tanakama ain't a Muad Kama. The Tanakama is going like, like Prof. Papa said, a Muad Ladam is not a Muad Lebehima. You do not generalize. And Sumka says, I'm Sorry, you do generalize, especially if it makes sense. I'm going to use it. Sumchis a chazarakai. So Sumchis, no, no. Sumchis is not discussing the initial becoming of a muad. Everybody would agree if, it be, if it's a muad adam, we generalize and it becomes a muad lebehema. So what are we debating? We're debating whether it can r- 
revert exactly what we just discussed a minute ago. What we just set up as the case that it saw a behemoth three times and it didn't gore it. And that, the Tanakhama says, establishes it as a word only for Adam and not for behemoth. So Husumcha is saying, I don't buy that tshuva. That tshuva is not sincere. Okay? No, if it didn't gore an animal, that doesn't stop it from being a muad for behemoth. Since it has not yet reverted from goring an Adam, and that's still in its place, so therefore, the chazar for behemoth doesn't mean anything. If it's still a muad for an Adam, it's going to still be a muad for behemoth. So what Rav Zid is saying, certainly not pshat, but what Rav Zid is saying is, everybody would agree that this get, the starting is, if it's a muad, you just generalize. He might even say, okay, you just generalize. So what's the debate of Tanakam and Sumchis? Because Tanakam is saying is, yes, but an animal could see a behemoth and revert from that. And Sumchis is saying, no. If it's a muad, if it's Still a muad adam, it'll still be a muad lebehemah. That doesn't go away just by t- picking off the low hanging fruit. It still remains a muad, okay? But initially, according to Rav Zvid, if it becomes a muad for one, it becomes a muad for everything. Okay. Amar Vashi, Tashma, come in here. They said to Yehuda, the Mishnah. What if it's a mood for, Shab- for, for, for Shabbos and not for the weekdays? Okay, yes. If that's what happens, it goes on Shabbos and not on the weekdays, then Shabbos it pays full and weekdays it pays half. If it's saying Ve'enamut, so they're laying out a scenario. They're saying, here's the scenario. It gored on Shabbos, and it didn't gore on the weekdays. What's the halacha? So that's Ve'enamut. Ve'enamut. Ve'enamut is they're describing it. It gored on Shabbos, it didn't gore on the weekdays. What's the halacha? Okay? They're asking him, in this scenario, what's the halacha? And he's telling them, yes, if that's what happened, then we will treat it as a muad on Shabbos and not a muad in the weekdays. But how would it mean if there was enamud? So what did they say to him? The student says to Rabbi Yehuda, muad b'shabbos, enamud li'yimosachol. So they're not asking him a question, they're just saying a halacha. Muad b'shabbos is not a muad. So, and so then what's he responding? They're already teaching the same halacha. They're teaching him a halacha. <laughs> it's not describing a case and asking the halacha. If they're saying muad b'shabbos, enamud that's a psak. The two, you might come a hadalahu. What's he responding to them? They already know the answer. So therefore, it's clear from the, the question that we're using the vav and we're describing the scenario and, and we're not saying a psak. It's the Ve'enamuad describes it. It's not a hapsak, Ve'enamuad. You know, you can also infer this from a close read of the beginning of the Mishnah. Tiktani, etchemuad lo, after it says, it's muad x and not muad y. Muad is this, not muad that. And then it says, etchemuad lo, the thing it's a muad for, Mishalim is a shalim. Ve'enamuad lo, Mishalim chatinezek. Right? That's how it ends after describing all the cases. If you say Ve'enamuad, so we describe the scenarios. Something is a muad for an, for, anim, for for people and not for animals, for big and not for small, for this and not for that. What's the halacha? The halacha is the thing is a muad for a pays full, the thing it's not a muad for a pays half. Okay, okay. So that makes sense. Um, but if it says you already told me the halacha. 
Mord Adam, ain't a Mord Lebeima. Mord Lemino, ain't a Mord Lemino. So if you're already not above, you're paskin already. Piska, paska, you've already taught me. Stop paskin. You said if it's more for this, it's not more for that. My two etcha more lo mishan nezekarim etcha more lo mishan chazi nezek. So now if you've already told me the psak that it's a muad for this, this and not for that, why do you have to tell me what the halacha is about a muad? What? And we're already thirty six staff into this mesech, and I don't yet know the halacha. So if you were telling me a psak muad adam ain't a muad lebehema, you can stop there. You don't have to tell me what the consequence of being a muad ain't a muad. If you're describing it, something that is a muad latam has been has been demonstrated to gor to gor behema and not demonstrated to gor adam or demonstrated this not that, then you have to tell me, okay, what's the halacha after that behavior has been demonstrated? So they'll tell me the thing. It's habitual is full, not habitual half. So if it's a vav, it's descriptive, and then it ends with a psak. Here's the psak. The thing it's evident. It's shown its habitual its habitual nature for it's full, not shown its half, or, or shown that it's not habitual is half. But if you've already passed in mur adam ain't a mur so then you don't need that last line. Okay. So anyway, so it sounds like the Gemara. You know, the evidence of the end of the Mishnah or the phrasing of the Mishnah very heavily waits for Rev Zvid. Now, if it waits for Rev Zvid, I gotta tell you, it's going to make the rest of the Gemara very boring. Because that's going to mean that in terms of how do you determine what pattern something establishes, for Zvid is like, that's never a question. Like, whatever, if, if it ever goes any three things, it's a muad for everything. The only question would be, if it actively saw certain things and didn't gore them, right? But it, but to, to a norm, normally a, determine what's the scope of it being a muad, if it happened to gore any three random things, we'll assume that it's a muad for everything. Okay, but the Gemara is going to not want, even though the evidence of the mission is for Rezvid, it's not one I'm going to give up Rav Papa. Because Rav Papa allows us to explore interesting questions. Let's say it gored the following things. What type of a muad would it be? Okay, so that's what the Gemara now shifts to. The Indim Salom Hanami Isil Rav Papa. So even though we've pretty much disproved Rav Papa, were we to Paskin like Rav Papa? If it gored an ox, uh, a donkey, and a camel, so for a papa you have to say, what is the pattern? That's the question you ask yourself. We're only going to limit ourselves to the evidenced pattern. For a vid, it's everything. For a papa, we limit ourselves to the evidenced pattern. So what's the pattern of shor, chamor, and gamal? So you could say nothing. You could say you always need, you always assume it's going gonna, it's gonna to be based on the type of thing it gored. Or you could say, no, no, no. We go to the, to, the, to, the, to the level of abstraction that allows us to find a common denominator. So in this case, it would actually be, it would not be a mu'ad. This would make it a mu'ad. Now, maybe not la'adam. Maybe to become a mu'ad la'adam, it would have to go a shor, chamor, and an adam. Right? You know, let's say the Shor Chamor and Gama were all baby animals. Maybe it wouldn't be a word for Gedolim. Okay? So you go to the smallest level of abstraction that contains everything that you've just seen. Okay? Maybe it wouldn't be a muad for goring chickens. Maybe it would only be for behemoths. You know what I'm saying? So, but that's the idea for a papa. Zvid says you just include everything. And Rav Papa says, no. You, inclu- you, you go to the level of abstraction, the smallest category that allows you to include all of the evidence that you've witnessed. All right, so let's take a look. Tanur Rabbanan. Rashur and Agach, Shor and Agach, 
If it alternated, okay, not on days, but it's you know it's gored every other ox that it saw, then it would be a muad for goring every other ox. So if it was on off on off on off, then the next on would be nezek shalim. But if it did on on, then the the second on would be chasi nezek. Okay, because it's only habitual for every other ox. Okay, tanabana rashur nagach hamor lo nagach. Sus nagach, gamal lo nagach. Pered nagach, arod la nagach. So it alternated, but it was six different animals. Okay, so what's the pattern here? So, not the mood, let's say, rugen lakal. So again, according to Rav Papa, Tosos tries to work this in with Rav Zvid. I'm not going to get into Tosos, but the riff says that all these discussions are with Rav Papa, because Rav Zvid generally assumes it's mood for everything. Here it's basically, we're trying to make it a mood for the smallest evidence group. So that's the basis for the riff to say we pass them like Rav Papa, because all these interesting questions work easiest within Rav Papa. So, for Rav Papa, what is the smallest evidence group? So it's three different things that it gored. So that basically means everything. Everything, I assume, means all behemoths, presumably not Adam. But it only gored every other time, so it is mua to gore any type of an animal, but only on alternate times. Okay, not the mua to say rugen lako. Now here's the question. Nagach. Yeah, but the Gemara is having fun. I don't know if animals would do this. I don't know, but the Gemara is having fun. Exactly. Nagach, sure, sure, sure. Chamor v'gamal. So you have three of a kind. Okay, not yet a full house. Okay, so <laughs> what's the halacha? Mahu. Okay. Hi, sure, basra, basra, shvarim, shadina, luhu. Do we say sure, sure, sure? So that's after the first three, it was muad l'shvarim. And then it had chamor and gamal. Well, that's not going to make it muad l'chol, because it was muad l'shvarim. It would need to do maybe chamor, gamal, and some third thing to be muad l'chol. Okay. It's only muad for shvarim, not for all animals. Odium, or do we say high shore basra the third shore basra chamor v'gamal shadinale? It was sure sure, and then it was sure chamor and gamal. So we look at the last three, and the last three, the common denominator is all animals. meaning, and then it's for everything. So we don't know the answer. How about if it's the reverse? Chamor v'gamal sure sure sure. Okay, now that way there's a better basis to say everything because the first three things that were witnessed establish a more general pattern. Now high shore comma the first shore. Do we put it after the Chamor and Gamal? So the first three gorings were, you know, were, were of all different types, and therefore it's Muad Lakol. The Yaidle Lakulumini, and it's Muad for all things. Or do we say, No. Nevertheless, if you look at that grouping, Chamor Gamal, Shor, 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 you're drawn to the Shor, Shor, Shor. That's the most obvious, consistent grouping. And therefore, that determines that it's a Muad Lushvarim. Okay, so we don't know the answer to that. Now, how about Shabbat, 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 Echad, Shabbat, 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 Sunday, Monday. Do we say, Mahu, Mahu, Do we say Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat? So after the first three times, it's now established itself as Muad for Shabbat, and then Sunday and Monday is only two, two new events, and not three new events, and not yet a new pattern. Okay? If it did Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, then it would be everything. But at this stage, it's only for Shabbos, because three, the first three times established it as Shabbos. Oh, No. We say, we look at the last three, which is Shabbos, Sunday, Monday. And therefore we say it's a Muad for all days of the week. Okay? Uh, so we don't know. 
How about if it's the first three, which is a more of a basis to say that you go by the first three? Hey, Shabbos, very Shabbos, for Shabbos. Let's say it's Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, and then Shabbos, Shabbos. Okay? So, Mahu, what do we say? Do we say, once it did Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, it was a muad for all the days of the week? Okay? Um, and then the, the fact that the next two times are Shabbos is doesn't reassess. We've established it that it's a muad for all the days of the week. No, we say, when you look at that list, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, 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 you're, you know, you're drawn to the Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos of the most obvious grouping, and it's only muad for Shabbos. So we don't know the answer to any of this. Take it. Now, yes, I can anticipate your question, Hillel, which is, why don't we say it's st- even if it was Shabbos, 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 if it was Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, it was Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, and it was all the days of the week, then the next time it goes with Shabbos, why didn't not going on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday undermine its being a muad for all the days of the week? Was that your question? No. Okay, that's my question. So I will say that we have to assume that we would have to assume it didn't see any oxen during those days of the week. Right? If it was Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, Mars thinks that that might be a muad for everything. And then it was Shabbos, Shabbos. But didn't it stop being a muad for everything when it went through the rest of the week? and didn't gore? And the answer is no. If it didn't see any animals with the rest of the week, that doesn't undermine its status. So well, what was your question? I thought it was sequential. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was sequential, but it was over the course of multiple weeks. Right. Monday, Monday. Right, that could be too. That could be too. It could have been... Sunday, Tuesday, Shabbos. But the point is, but in order that the days between don't undermine it, you have to assume it was not seeing oxen during those interim days. Okay, let's get up to the Mishnah. <laughs> We're going to get up to the Mishnah. Nagashur Yom Tetzvav B'chodesh Zev. Yom Tetzayim B'chodesh Zev. Yom Yud Zayim B'chodesh Zev. So it can also become a Muad. Now here, here's where we become pure formalists. Because I, you know, Rashmi tells us, that, oh, Shabbos is different. It has a day off. People are dressed differently. Here the Gemara is, going, is assuming that if an ox scores every 16th of every month, for three months it gored on the 16th, it's a muad for going on the 16th. Even though that's like completely arbitrary. What made the 16th different? Okay, it's affected by the moon maybe. Anyway, but here's where it really seems we become total formalists and we don't ask what would have led to that, what's the causal relationship. We just say that's what it's evidenced, that's the status of it being more. So let's say instead of those 16, 16, and 16 of three months, it did 15, 16, and 17 of three successive months. Okay? Um... That's a debate of Rav and Shmuel because the point is like this. Is it now a muad for doing the next month plus a day? The problem is it has three months. They are in a pattern 15, 16, and 17 but the pattern of plus one only occurred twice. Right? 16 and 15 was not a plus one pattern. 15, 16, and 17 16 and 17 are only two times of exhibiting a plus one. You can watch that ox and know what day of the month it is. Yes. Oh, that's true. Okay. To Inmar, it was taught. Now, this is debated also by Nida. And it's very interesting that the question of establishing a pattern by the goring ox, the veset means a pattern, is a woman establishing a pattern of when she gets her period, so she knows which day she has to be concerned that she will see her period. Okay. To Itmar. Right. Rasa yom tesvav b'chodesh zeh. The yom tesvav b'chodesh zeh. A woman bled, got her period, one month on the 15th, once on the 16th. Yom once on the 17th. Rav she now has an established cycle and a pattern that she'll see the next month plus a day. Okay? Um, the Shmuel, even 
because it was three seeings, even though only two of the seeings were plus one, because they were relative to the day before. No, no, no. She needs four months, because she has to have three months that have the plus one sort of experience. Okay, so anyway, that's the debate of Rav and Shmuel. Amar Rava. Shama kol shofar v'nagach. Kol shofar v'nagach. Kol shofar v'nagach. If it heard a shofar in a gourd three times in a row, not the mood of the shofar wrote. Then it's a mood, it's a gourd every time it hears a shofar. Pshita, obviously. Ma'u detemeno. I might have thought, hach shofar kama siyuta ba'alma hu denakte. Maybe the first shofar was just so like uh, astounded, like, you know, excited, bewildered, that it was really not that it's uh, yet proven a habitual. That was like a more of a instinctive reaction. Of course, you could say all three times were instinctive reaction. But the point is, maybe the first time doesn't count. The first time it was such a shock, it gored as a result of that, and it doesn't yet establish this as a natural pattern. Kamash Malan, that no, we're still going to look at the three times. By the end of the Gemara, certainly the Gemara seems against Tosros' argument that not. It seems that it's working with Rav Papa. Rav Papa is certainly the more interesting position. The Zin just says, says three times, you just assume it's a mood for everything. Rav Papa says, no, 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 we have to ask ourselves, what is the pattern? What is the smallest pattern that I can identify? That then leads to interesting questions, but it also seems that we've adopted a lot of formalisms. We've dropped the idea that Shabbos is different because people are dressed differently. 15, 16, 17 is a pattern for days of the week plus one. Okay, we're not trying to really explain any causal relationship. It now becomes an issue of like pattern identification, and that becomes now the approach within Rev Papa. Yes. And so, um, 